Thank you so much for tuning in. Today with me, I have a business attorney and he is located in Utah as well as Arizona. And if you have any issues or anything with business, starting a business, what to do, he's here to help you. And hopefully you're tuning in to hear what he has to say. So welcome, Paul, to my show. You're welcome. And uh, Paul, this is going to be an exciting show and uh, I look forward to chatting with you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all. Uh, So I'm a business attorney. I've been practicing for over six years. I uh, got my law degree at Arizona State University and I've uh, been in-house counsel. I've worked at a law firm and I have my own firm now. Mm-hmm. And and how long have you been doing this? Uh, a little over six years, about six and a half. Six and a half. And did you? So next year will be seven years. That's wonderful. That's really good. Congratulations. And uh, Thank you. appreciate that. Tell me what type of um, besides do so you practice the business law? Is that really difficult or complicated compared uh, you to? Know, the- it's actually an overlooked area of law. There are a lot of law firms that say they do business law and they just help with business formation. Uh, but business law encompasses many areas of, of law. So I actually run a law firm that handles law, uh, business law from start to finish. So I help with formations, I help with business management, and I help with buying and selling businesses. So most uh, attorneys will deal with employment law or workers' comp, or they'll do contracts in real estate. But as a business attorney, I've actually been general counsel to uh, a company, and that means I've handled numerous areas of law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way that I can continue doing that with my law firm is that I don't get into litigation. I don't do uh, litigation or court uh, lawsuits. I focus mainly on keeping businesses compliant and on growth. So I help them kind of grow from startups all the way up to uh, being able to sell their business. Mm-hmm. And what type of um, business do you really enjoy working with? Um, I really enjoy helping startups. Most of the time they uh, they have an idea or a product and they're really excited about it. Uh, but there's so many areas of business that they're unfamiliar with. Uh, for example, marketing or product development. Uh, let alone any of the legal issues that they might have to face. And so my background and experience allows me to help so many of these companies. And I really enjoy helping startups. That way they can get a good foundation for growth. Um, As you know, Kathy, most businesses face failure within the first five years. And so my job as a business attorney, I view it as to help businesses overcome that hurdle is to help them prepare by doing a business plan, getting the right documents in place, the right training. And, and that's how I approach uh, mm-hmm. startups. I really love helping them. When startups, should they have a business plan? Is it wise to have that? Uh, honestly, every business should have a business plan. I uh, typically tell clients that if they don't have a business plan, that they need to get one before I can even help them. You know, as an attorney, I'm supposed to assess their legal risks but if they don't even know their product well enough or the market that they're getting into, how can I assess that? Now I have a lot of experience and I can see some of those risks without them having a business plan, but they're the one taking on the risk. My job is just to get the notice to them of that risk. So without a business plan, they 
they're going to probably have issues uh, that they mm-hmm. could have foreseen if they had just taken the time to write that out. And, and it seems almost gimmicky, like, oh, I need a business plan. But really, it's so important because you can start to see, do you need investors? Do you need to have foreign investors? What is my marketplace look like? Because, uh, you know, you can be set up for tax purposes, which you think is important when you first start. But really, you need to be set up to have foreign investors. Mm-hmm. And so that trumps your need for certain tax savings. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I see all the time. People focus on taxes when they're starting a business, yet you're, you're starting up. You have zero taxes. You haven't sold anything. You haven't made anything. So what tax liability? Really, we need to be worrying about what are your legal risks and then take into account any tax liability that might happen once you get your product to market. Mm-hmm. Don't you think business plans change all the time? Like I, you know, I can write, Uh, I can write one up, I can write one up, but then like a year, year and a half from now, I'm changing it or adding to it. Is that allowed? And and actually I tell uh, my clients, there are two documents that they should have out all the time. Uh They should have their business plan and they should have out their operating agreement. Mm. And that's because the operating agreement or shareholders agreement, depending on your company, tells you how you should be operating, what you should be doing as a company to make big decisions. The business plan is kind of that day-to-day operation. What are our plans? What are we doing? What is our exit strategy? What products are we bringing on? And if you're not updating that, then are you just planning to fail, right? Are you just writing the market? Hopefully you make it through. Uh, Notice the last few years, there's been a big shift uh, between Amazon and Walmart. Everyone was saying brick and mortar is dead. And yet then Amazon goes and buys Whole Foods. Well, that's a business plan decision. That's a recognition of, hey, we can't take over more without some brick and mortar. But then Walmart made a huge change. Mm-hmm. It, they changed their entire website to allow third-party sellers. That, that's a change that comes with a plan. It's not just random. It's not something that you're just kind of knee-jerk reaction. And so I tell my clients, look, if Walmart and Amazon are acting on plans, they're seeing what's happening to the market, you should too have these things out on your desk so that you can change them, update your business plan all the time. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's really, I like that. Yeah, and I didn't know that about Walmart and Amazon. I know some changes in Walmart and I saw some changes in Amazon, but I didn't I didn't click. So that, that makes sense. That really makes sense. And uh, so what role does, you know, do you, you really basically play into when I come to you? I mean, what role would you play in for um, a corporation besides a small business person? Yeah, so as as an attorney, um, I play the role as kind of an advocate, uh-huh. but also within my law firm, I am the only attorney. So I don't, I don't have any other attorneys, I don't have staff, so I do the consultation. I do the advice and I do the drafting. And that helps me to keep a good hand on what's going on with each client that I work with. Uh, you know, I don't just hand it off to some secretary who reads it 50 times and then we charge the client for that. Mm-hmm. Um, my fees aren't based upon upon hourly rates. And so it allows me to just keep better control. And my duties, I, I look at my duties very um, intensely. Uh, I took five writing classes in law school. Uh, most attorneys only take two. And so I I really wanted to make sure that I can draft better than most attorneys. In fact, I focus on a a type of drafting called plain English, which allows me to draft differently than many attorneys draft. 
And so as, as an attorney, my role is to advocate for my client, but also as a business attorney, I'm a business consultant. I'm, I'm almost somebody that should be part of the board for a corporation, but you know, can they still be on the outside, but should be somebody that they refer to, that they call, that they seek information from. And then just duties as a lawyer, I have a duty to protect my client's interests, confidentiality, and help them grow as best I can. In the past six, six years, have you ever worked for a big corporation to be on their board? Uh, I'm not on the board for a corporation. I sat on nonprofit boards. Oh. Um, but with the corporation, I, I was in house counsel to a large corporation in Arizona. So I was their attorney. I did all their legal work. Um, and their board meetings were rather small. And so I didn't have to participate because I work daily with the president and CEO of the company. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I have worked with a large corporation. Um, I did all their legal work. They didn't have any other attorneys but me. Um, and so it was, it was a really great experience. I really enjoyed it. Wow. Exciting, exciting. And does your family enjoy you doing what you do? You know, I mean, a business law. I mean, wow. You know, I mean... Has, does your wife own a little business or anything? No, no, my wife does not. She supports me. She knows that I like helping people. Um, she she knows that I have other ambitions in life at times. Like I, I love actually woodworking. I've done woodworking since I was a kid. Uh, I also know how to weld and I cut down trees and do all sorts of other fun stuff on the side, uh -huh. uh, which actually helps me as a business attorney. Uh, I know many business attorneys have never had a job outside of being a lawyer. And yet for myself, I've, I've worked in retail, I've worked a, at a welding fabrication, I've worked in wood shops, uh, I've also done concrete and tile work um, when I was a student uh, uh, at my undergrad university. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've, I, that diversity allows me to represent clients better because I'm able to understand what's going on in their business, not just from a legal perspective, but also from a functionality and from, you know, product and servicing. Uh, so... That means that makes that you, yeah, so you really understand. So that makes you more experienced with startups. Yes. I, uh, my dad was a handyman, so I can do drywall, landscaping, uh, welding, woodworking. Uh, and I have plenty of tools on my uh, at my house, mm -hmm. and I do a lot of handyman work. I do stuff at my own house. I put up a door the other day, installed it, built, you know, framed it in and put it in. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit of a different attorney, and that's actually why I approach my practice differently, Kathy. I, I don't do billable hours because I know businesses, especially startups, they're scared of the price of visiting with an attorney. And so I base all my fees on, on what are called flat fees. It's a single price mm -hmm. for the representation. It doesn't change. I don't charge for communication, and I don't charge for consultation. I want to make sure that businesses, especially startups, have access to an attorney so they can ask questions, they can get good answers, even if they're not legally related. Whereas when you meet with an attorney who's doing billable hours, you're limited by time. So you mm -hmm. try to get in what you think are the best questions or well, you're not sure if you should ask something. Where I meet with clients all the time and visit with them for two, three hours, make sure, hey, what are your questions? Let's get them answered. What else can I help you with? And then when you need legal work done, that's how I get paid. But I'm, I love helping people just meeting with them. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, I referred you to a company overseas, and I guess you have a meeting after the holiday, this Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, yeah, to be able to, yeah, he wants to bring his business over to the U.S. So 
that's between you two and he's excited to talk to you and uh and get that on its on its tracks but talk about that you know you know small business is sweet but what about incorporation where's the best place to put your corporation yeah so that's a really good point let me first address as a business attorney i can meet with clients from across the u.s across the world because I'm able to give uh, legal advice regarding businesses in many facets, many areas. Okay. Now, when it comes to actual representation in courts, obviously I'm limited to where I'm licensed. But okay. to help somebody set up their business in another state, I can do that. I just have to become familiar with the laws of that state and then give them advice on what to do. Mm -hmm. When you're setting up a business or you're going to incorporate, say, like a corporation or you're setting up an LLC, there are a number of factors that you want to look at. Uh, really. This goes back to the business plan. Who is your marketplace and who are going to be the owners? If you have a, a really great idea and you're looking for millions of dollars of investment, you might want to set up in Delaware where a lot of investors prefer to have their, their investments because Delaware is a very friendly, corporate friendly uh, state. Mm -hmm. There are still other states that are good. You know, Nevada has a decent LLC act. Uh, Utah is a really good place to set up. Arizona is a really good place. There are other places that I would I tell clients actually all the time, please don't operate there um, just because it's it doesn't help your business. It actually can hurt you the first few years that you start out, California being one of them. Just because there's so many rules and regulations, it's a, it's a pretty high cost to enter that marketplace. Mm -hmm. So, so, so for, let me run back by this. So to start, it's best to put your documentations in Delaware, but can you still have a business in, Cal I mean, Utah or Las Vegas? Are you okay? Yeah, so the, the laws on businesses are that you register in the state where you want to be headquartered. Okay. And that could be because of tax reasons, or it could be, like I said, because of investors, or just how you're treated as a company. Delaware treats corporations really well. And so once you do that, if you need to do work in another state, it doesn't mean you have to uh, register your entity in that state, which is mm -hmm. called a foreign entity registration. Uh, it depends on the nexus. If your business does a lot of work in another state, then you should be registering as a foreign entity in that state. Oh. But if you just have a one-off sale, and I'm selling uh, my truck, and some guy in another state says, hey, I'd love to buy that, and you buy it, and they sell it to him. That, that's a one-off transaction. You have to have a strong enough business nexus to to be taxed or to re be required to register in another state. Mm -hmm. Now, each state is different, and you have to check those rules, but it's good to meet with a CPA and a business attorney if you're going to do any transaction in another state to make sure that you don't have to do the registration or that if you're going to do the transaction that you, you register beforehand. Okay, but what if you have a business and you're um, um... – well, yeah, you're registered in Utah, say, for example, but yeah, you're going flying to D.C. or, you know, something like that, Maryland, and you're doing business there for like two weeks and then you're coming back. Do you still have to pay all those taxes because you're meeting with a client or whatever? Or do you have Again, to... it depends on how strong of a nexus that is. If it's kind of a one-time transaction, then probably not. Okay. Uh, but if you're going to be going back to that client over and over again, then you probably need to register as a foreign entity in Maryland or Delaware, wherever you're meeting that client. Okay. And it's because of the taxes. They, the, they want to get their, uh, 
their taxes for payroll and any kind of income tax that they can. Each state you know, requires those things if you're an entity in their state. And so it's important to recognize um, that the, the nexus, it's called a nexus, how strong that nexus is, is going to determine whether or not you need to register as a foreign entity in another state. Okay, what about if you're not going to see them, but you're doing a Zoom meeting? You're doing online meetings with that person, but you meet once or twice. Yeah, again, that it seems like it's not strong enough of a nexus to create a need to register as a foreign okay. entity. Okay. But as you're meeting more and more people there, it's something to consider. Okay. Okay. Got it. I just want to make sure for anybody else who's listening that, you know, just to watch your T's and T's and <laughs> Your dots, your T's and dots, or whatever you want to call that. But anyway, this is quite interesting, Paul. This is really interesting. And um, what? so your favorite is to do small businesses, startups. Is that correct? Like mom-pop shops or? I, I do. I do. I like doing that a lot just because they, they're in such need. And uh, I have such a breadth of experience that it's great to just sit down with them and give them as much help as they can get. So that way they're successful. There's a lot of times these small startups are putting their life savings or they're putting a lot of their free time into it. And so it's really exciting to help them. So that way they don't waste that. They don't, they don't feel like, man, I just totally blew my life savings or I just spent two years trying to develop this product and it's just going to go under. Uh, so I really do like working with small businesses. Mm -hmm. That's exciting part. Give me an example of a small business that you've helped. I mean, I'm sure you have many, but someone that maybe might have been struggling a little bit or or someone who did small business, but they grew. You watched them grow and you stayed right along yeah. with them. So I have a pest control company that reached out to me about two years ago mm -hmm. and they were actually having a partnership dispute between the owners. Ooh. They had gone to one of the online form uh, document preparers, uh, you know, Rocket Lawyer, LegalZoom, those are in that category. Uh, but they had received a really terrible partnership agreement. And so luckily for my client who wanted to sp split up the partnership, uh, the, the document was in our favor, but it was very, very terrible document. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to help him separate, but then he didn't know what to do after that. He wanted to still run pest control. He still wanted to create an entity and keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so Utah is one of 11 states that has a very unique LLC called a series LLC. And it's been around since 1996. It was started to help out mutual funds with the, with the SEC. And so I told him, hey, we could create this series LLC because he wanted to franchise this business. He wanted to get it to a point where it could be franchised, but he didn't want to lose control like a franchise. Well, with this series LLC, he's able to actually create a lot of little entities and still maintain control of them, but he's able to separate his liabilities a lot better than an, you know a typical LLC structuring mm -hmm. where you have LLCs, owning LLCs. Mm -hmm. uh, the series LLC allows for uh, diversity of ownership without uh, getting the main parent company involved. And so it, it allowed him to start to grow. And he's he's right now, he has three of them set up and he's looking to continue to grow and it's been it's been exciting to help him first with a real problem to get his partnership dispute resolved um, and then to move forward in setting up a company that allows him to grow and maintain control or to maintain his his desire for control instead of being subjected to 
you know, just the whim of any business attorney who wouldn't understand that as well as somebody like myself who, who really tries to help businesses fulfill what they want. Mm -hmm. Ah, amazing. Amazing. And, um, I like the fact that you took more writing, um, in law school. That's, that's so good. That's really good. Especially when you're out on your own and don't have a secretary yet. I know you're going to get one soon and, uh, <laughs> cause I'm going to keep you busy. But anyway, um, I'm sending you some clients. I, I've been, was impressed. Everybody out there, I've been impressed. I met Paul at a networking meeting and was very impressed with what he had to say and say about himself. And then he came highly recommended too. So he came highly recommended. And I was like, oh, okay. So, and I was looking into, I'll be hiring a business attorney next in January. I'm looking into January. And uh, um, it's, I think it's, you're better than a business coach. I mean, you sound like you give good advice and you give me all my documents that I need. In, in many ways, uh, attorneys, although we're, we're the butt of many jokes, right? Uh, attorneys are allowed to practice law in any area that they're competent or can become competent. And so as a business attorney, yeah, I'm, I'm a souped up business coach because not only can I give you business, business advice, I can give you business legal advice and I can cover a number of areas like I do. I, I, I do formations. I help people with their contracts, with their real estate. I advise them on their workers comp. And actually, I have a construction background experience, so I'm able to even do OSHA trainings and certifications. So I can help construction companies with, you know, their, their fall protection trainings and it allows me as a business attorney, that's, that's a, a level beyond a consultant, a con, you know, business consultant or business coach. They can tell you things, but they're, they don't have the licensing to draft your agreements. Right. They don't have the ability to actually say, Hey, this is a legal issue. Although they may know that from past experience, it doesn't mean that they're qualified to even give legal advice regarding that issue. I know, and they charge you so much. <laughs> Which, honestly, oh. their fees are similar to my fees. Oh, good. Because they charge, I re yeah, then I can feel comfortable. And But I like the fact that I can, do you look over resumes? You know, like if some client gave me a resume and I didn't feel good about it. Can I just have you review it? Yeah, so typically if I have, um, for clients, um, I charge just $250, $250 to review any document. And that doesn't mean I edit it, but I review it. But it gives them that, that knowledge that I'll review it and I'll talk to them about it. There's not more costs associated with conversing about the agreement or whatever the document is. Um, and you'll see in the legal field, I mean, most attorneys are asking for a you know, $2,500 deposit up front. And that's a lot of money. For mm -hmm. just reviewing a document. So I don't do that. I, I ask for exactly what I need and I get paid up front when I meet with my clients, but I work with them until they're satisfied. So yeah, if you have these documents and you need them reviewed, I charge two fifty a document. In fact, if I have multiple documents, I'll even bundle them and reduce the price because I want clients to have access. I want them to be able to go to an attorney when they have that need instead of being fearful of how much cost it is. Can somebody hire you? you know, on a yearly basis that just, you know, if they didn't use you that month, they may need you the following month to look at. Stuff. Yes. I actually have multiple clients that are on re monthly retainers. Mm -hmm. um, they, 
they meet with me once a month. We discuss things. We look over contracts. They get reduced pricing on my other fees if they need that. Uh, but I'm there to actually help them with their business plan. Most of the time, I'm helping them grow mm-hmm. because I want to make sure, hey, any legal issues that we have pop up, we address before they become a big blow up or we're trying to anticipate growth and we're trying to get the company to bring on more employees or bring on more customers. So, yes, I, I do have a retainer package where I help uh customers or clients each month do you help out with the trust for a business i do i help out with uh, any kind of business ownership uh, including trusts a lot of people think that uh, owning a business through a trust uh, is advantageous it allows for uh, having an anonymous business because no one really knows who owns the trust you don't have to register that with the state mm-hmm. um, however it's not necessarily Uh, the easiest or cleanest thing for uh, many business owners because they just need to learn how to run a business, let alone managing a trust and a business, which can be quite complex. Uh Interesting. That's so good to know. And, uh, okay, what type of contracts does a business really need? You know, that's a really good question, and it depends on the type of business that you're operating. Mm-hmm. For example, I've helped out some therapy clinics, and they've needed multiple documents because as, as licensed individuals medic in the medical profession, they have to have informed consents, which are documents explaining the medical and legal risks of using that therapy or that doctor. And so they need multiple documents. Mm-hmm. But a HVAC company or a plumbing company, typically they only have one service contract. Mm-hmm. Now, that can change depending on if they're doing commercial and residential, but for the most part, it, depending on your business plan, it's going to de- determine what you really need legal documents or contracts. Hmm. Interesting. Really interesting. Well, Paul, hold on. We're going to go into a commercial break, and we'll be right back after these messages. Hi, my name is Drusilla. I am the founder and owner of Drusilla's Closet. I've created a unique system to organize your pantry and kitchen. The system also works great in various parts of your home and garage. Also in my closet, I have unique furniture, art, and decor. You can find us on Facebook, Drusilla's Closet, or call at 435-224-9266. Head and Home Horse Rescue Foundation. We are a 501c3 nonprofit that rescues both wild and domestic horses and other equine that are either unwanted, neglected, abused, or their humans move. Head and Home helps rehabilitate them to be used in equine therapy to help those in need. We could use your support. You can contact us at 801-910-2698. Hey, this is Rocktop Construction. Rocktop is a family-owned business based out of Utah. We specialize in replacing worn or storm-damaged roofs and understand how to assist homeowners with property claims. For reliable service and the best value on a quality and energy-efficient roof, call Rocktop Construction at 801-567-1234. We have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Again, that's 801-567-1234 to find out more about how we can protect your home. 
I'm back here. I'm sitting here with attorney, business attorney, Paul Sharps. How are you today? We were talking about, um, you know, the contracts, business contracts. And uh, I, I feel like there's so many papers, so many papers when it comes to a business contract. Typically, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of contracts that can be lengthy. And some of that is because of the legal language that the attorneys are using. Oh. The other issue is that the attorneys actually haven't taken the time to understand the business owner and the business owner's risk. Mm -hmm. Some business owners, they fly by the seat of their pants, they do handshake deals, they run for 20 years and never have an issue, right? right. They need a contract, you could say they do, but they ran, they operated for 20 years without one. Other businesses, they want everything under the sun in their contract. They're so worried about liability, but that can scare away clients. Mm -hmm. And so something that I try to teach my clients is that the contract needs to mirror the business owner's level of risk. If they're willing to take some risks, then we don't have to put everything in there. Mm -hmm. If they're more worried about some things, then I advise them, hey, is that going to shut down the, the negotiations with the potential client? Or is it something that we can get insurance for? If we can get insurance coverage for it, then let's not put it in the contract. Or if it's something that's going to hinder the contract and make it so that you're not getting clients, then we need to assess that and say, is it worth the risk? And this is where a lot of attorneys, they kind of draft what they think are doomsday contracts. I need to prevent every liability. When in reality, that's impossible. You can't think of every scenario where the contract can go bad. And number two, your client may actually want to take on some of those risks because they may never happen or they may happen once every five, once every 10 years. Mm -hmm. So I try to make sure that my clients understand their contracts, which is why I draft in plain English. I don't draft like most attorneys. I make it so that the client can understand their own risks. They can read their own contract and say, I know what that's saying. I know what I need to do to keep that in, in my agreement and to make sure that I don't breach it or that the, if the other side breaches that, I know what I need to do. And so again, contracts can be lengthy for certain reasons. At other times, it's unnecessary. It can hinder a relationship. It can also expose the client. For example, Kathy, let's say you take a very small business, mm -hmm. a pest control company, and you give them a 10-page contract that they are going door-to-door -to, -door to do pest control with. But they don't realize that half that contract, they have obligations in it. And yet they're going around knocking on doors just trying to make money. And then they have these people sign the contract, these owners of properties, and then they breach it. Well, you, you just created a liability for your client because the contract was too complex for them to even operate with. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I see a lot. A lot of attorneys don't take the time to explain their contracts to, to the client. And also the clients, they don't understand the legal risks that are involved, and they create more liability by having a sophisticated contract. And so you have to match it to the, cop, to the client. You need to make sure they understand what they're doing and how they're doing it, and that it matches what they're doing in their business. Interesting. Well, then I have something. What should be in my operating agreement or bylaws? You know, when you're dealing with a, a business, one of the most important documents that you'll ever create for them is an operating agreement or shareholders agreement. It's the first document uh, besides the state filings uh, that they should be reviewing and meticulously uh, editing. In the, in the operating agreement or bylaws or shareholders agreement, depending on which one you're, you're using, uh, you need to make sure that you have ownership percentages 
who are the owners, how much do they own. You need to make sure you have decision-making processes outlined. A lot of times companies just kind of get up and running. They got a business partner. They didn't get an operating agreement. And now they're in a fight over buying another truck or taking on another job. But they don't have an agreement to decide these things. Uh-huh. The other one is that I see a lot is ownership uh, responsibilities. And this is where an operating agreement defines who is supposed to do what and who is being compensated. Yeah, right? I see that great, too. That's true. That's true. Yeah. A great way to have a partnership dispute is for you to. Right. Well, is that your compensation? Was that previously agreed to? And mm-hmm. so you create these issues by not having an agreement in the first place. But you should make sure if you're getting an agreement from anybody that you have these things outlined. So that way you know what are the duties that everyone can hold each other to. And what, you know, what is my compensation? What does our decision-making process look like? Uh, for example, Kathy, I actually helped a uh, recently divorced couple who wanted to keep their business together. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to split the business. They didn't want to kill it. But they wanted to update their operating agreement, and they wanted to hold each other accountable for job duties. Mm-hmm. Right? They said in the past, we really didn't have this, so what do we do now? Well, we define it. You make mm-hmm. sure you put in there exactly what you want to hold each other accountable for, recognizing that this could be a potential dispute because you're already a divorced couple, but at least you're writing it down. There's less area of gray if we're writing it down and we can say we both agree that you should be doing this. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's something very important for businesses to have an agreement in the first place and then make sure they document what they want the other people to be doing and themselves. I notice that families, family businesses are the hardest being in business with your family. Yes. and that's, In fact, a lot of the disputes I see are between family members. Uh, mm-hmm. They kind of get going. They think, hey, I'm hiring my son, and we're going to do this together. Son has a different business plan, and they then eventually separate ways. Or something I see quite often, uh, married couples. They've kind of built this business together, and they don't realize, hey, we need to connect the dots here between divorce rates and starting a business with your spouse. Mm-hmm. And so they never get an agreement in place. They never really document anything. Maybe the spouse helps out with bookkeeping or marketing, does very little in the business, mm-hmm. but that, that spouse has never said, hey, I'm only 10% owner. And so when the divorce pops up, is that spouse now going to claim 50% ownership? And so if you don't, if you, when you're working with family, it's even more important to delineate these relationships because it, you're, you now have the potential for a real divorce, which then forces, the court can force you to sell that company or force you to, to have to pay out the spouse. Uh-huh. Where are you getting that money from? Does the company have money to buy out a, an owner? And so, again, it creates these complications if you don't anticipate them and think, hey, when I have this relationship with a family member, I need to make sure that I document it. Another issue here, Kathy, that a lot of people overlook is the IRS. Oh. The IRS reviews transactions. So they say, hey, you just sold that hotel that you've been building to your son. But we look at it as a $50 million hotel, but you only sold it to them for $20 million. Oh, We think okay. it's actually a $50 million hotel. Wow. And so the taxes there are going to be on $50 million instead of the twenty because you didn't do what's called an arm's length transaction. Right? Okay. You did it with a, with a family member and you're trying to give them a deal. Well, we don't like that. 
So you have to have a reasonable deal. It doesn't mean you can't, you know, give a little bit of a deal, but at the same time, it has to be an arm's length transaction. It needs to be something that can hold up muster against IRS when they review the transaction. So same thing with, uh, you know, hiring your spouse or working with your kids. You make sure that the IRS is going to approve that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I heard if you hire your kids, especially if they're 16, use their social security number so that you can pay their taxes. <laughs> I mean, pay them yeah, for the pays that they get paid on taxes. They're on board. Did you yeah, it's saying? a complicated question. It's good to meet with a CPA and, and the business attorney to see what you're doing before you start paying your kids, before you start hiring them to do work for you, because uh, there are child labor laws. Now, sometimes you can work kids into what you're doing as your business, but you have to be careful what you're doing. You can violate laws working with your family. Mm-hmm. And then also, too, I just want to say, I remember when I was, you know, in Park City, Park City, Utah, the McDonald's, the guy bought it and had it for years and years and years and years. And then his son, he's mature, you know, son, he sold it to his son. He still worked there a little bit, but he, his son practically ran the McDonald's up in Park City. So his son runs the McDonald's. It's kind of nice to watch yeah, him grow can, into that. Yeah, you can. And it's one of those things you can do. You can transfer a company to a family member. You can do a real sales of the business. Um, it's just you have to make sure that it looks, and it is, legitimate. And I'm the sure IRS it does. Approve of that. Yeah, he goes, yeah, I'm buying this business. <laughs> he says it in a funny way. But, funny. you know, I go, it wasn't handed to you. And he looked at me really funny. He goes, no, <laughs> I have to buy it from my dad. But, you know, he knows it's a good business, and he's young enough that he'll have it forever. So, but anyway, but make the long story short, this is quite interesting because I, I – did marketing many years ago in, in the 90s and early 2000 and I would run into a oh, business owner family they are the hardest to deal with and they have so many you know um, issues and then you're trying to get you involved in it but you know I, I step away but um, yeah I saw a lot of that I saw dysfunctional <laughs> in family yeah, business. And a lot of that can be avoided by just having an operating agreement right. that says who has decision-making authority. Right. It, it really is. And then what about protecting my property and things like that? So if I own a building. Yeah. So a lot of people are worried when they start a business about their personal assets, their property. Oh, what yeah. if somebody sues me, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why we look at corporations or limited liability companies mm-hmm. because the company can be sued, but as you as an owner, you get a, a little shield from the government that says, hey, you can't be sued individually unless you've been treating this company as your own bank account. Then then they kind of remove the shield. But when you're starting a business, asset protection is a very important topic to discuss. Mm-hmm. You know, how deep of an asset protection plan do we need? How many assets are we protecting? You know, you have to be careful because there's a lot of there are a lot of individuals out there who will try to sell asset protection plans that are actually overdone. Uh, you know, I met with a chiropractor who absolutely owned nothing. He had two cars. He didn't own his house. He didn't own property. He had two cars. Mm-hmm. And some guy was trying to sell him on an advanced uh, asset protection plan. And I asked him, I said, you know, what are you trying to protect? You know, we don't need something advanced when you have two cars. I don't know many attorneys who are going to sue you for your cars. They're going to go after your malpractice insurance. 
they're going to try to cap out there. Uh-huh. And, and that's what people have to understand is asset protection plans, they may not be all that they're drummed up to be. Mm-hmm. If you, especially if you can't manage them, you may create more liabilities because you're not doing what the asset protection plan requires. Now, on the other side, there's other property that you need to protect, and this is intellectual property. Uh-huh. Having a good intellectual property attorney on your side is vital. I have one. Almost all my clients that have intellectual property right questions, I send to this individual. And and one of the first things that that a business owner can do is to get a non-disclosure agreement. So that way, anybody they tell about their awesome idea, their patentable idea, their trademark, whatever it is, they can put those people on a non-disclosure agreement so they can protect that asset until they can get it copyrighted, trademarked, or patented. And and it's a very – there there are people out there called patent trolls. They go around and just kind of antagonize people because they're – what they're doing looks like their patent. So you want to make sure you have somebody really good in your corner. Intellectual property is a very dangerous area to not have somebody on your side. Right? You need to make sure that you have a good attorney. And I, I do with my clients. I always tell them, hey, you need to go to this guy and make sure you get good advice. Well, regarding a lot of the you know starting up the business and the business name, I help out with. But if you need additional protections, like, hey, I'm, I have a slogan that I want to trademark, or I need to copyright this document that I prepared, or, hey, I've created this thing that I think can be patented, you want to make sure you have a good intellectual property attorney. Wow. That's, that's yeah, especially if, you, especially if you invent something and you're taking it to the market. Yes. Yeah, you really yeah. want somebody like that on your side. And what, yeah. are, what other risks should I be guarding against? You know, I think one of the biggest issues that I see is individuals not uh, recognizing the difference between an independent contractor and an employee. Uh, California recently passed some laws uh, trying to strike at Uber and Lyft, uh, making almost everybody that's in the state an employee. And so having a good business attorney that can tell you the differences between an independent contractor and an employee can be very vital for the business because you don't want the Department of Labor doing an audit on your company and saying, hey, these 20 people are technically employees. Because sometimes the Department of Labor likes to tip off other agencies uh, like the IRS, and now you have the IRS auditing you, and they're looking for payroll taxes for the last three years on these new employees that you've just been informed about. And so it's important to, to make sure that those who are independent contractors are actually independent contractors, that they meet all the standards, that they look and smell and act like an independent contractor. And that's something that requires a business attorney. It, it's sad. I see it all the time, individual individual companies that they put, you know, almost half their workforce as independent contractors. And I go in and I start asking questions and it's like, okay, most of these people are actually employees. You need to switch them as soon as you can. And they, they kind of fight me on it, but it's showing them, hey, this is what the standard is. If you get audited, you could owe a lot of money for not paying these people and not doing their payroll taxes. Mm-hmm. What about with the new president that's coming on board in January and with businesses today and you know, how do you feel about that? Yeah, with the potential uh, Biden-Harris election, it's important for people to understand he's starting to release his cabinet members and what the potential picks might be. And it looks like a lot of these are individuals that were under the Obama administration. And from what we know, the Obama administration was that they were very pro-employee. Uh, they 
they favor the employee, they favor employee claims, they favor viewing individuals as employees, even though they might be independent contractors. So as a business owner, it's really important that before these things start to kick in, to visit with a business attorney and make sure that your, your employees are classified the correct way and also that you're paying them right, that you're running your payrolls, and, and just checking everything before they start to increase the Department of Labor's work uh, or audits and, and you get hit for an audit. Oh my word. Hmm. Oh my word. That's something. So you're saying that people do construction work. You hire a, co a contractor to do a job, but you, he has to be an employee and not under, you know, the 1090 form. 1099. Yeah. yeah. So Kathy, it's, it's one of those where if I'm a general contractor and I hire an individual, you know, 1099 to just go clean up a job site for one day, well, does that individual qualify as an independent contractor, right? They look at, do they have independent judgment? Uh, do they have the opportunity for profit or loss? Uh, are, are, do you control their schedule? And so this, these are all factors that play into whether or not they're an independent contractor. Now, if you're just a homeowner and you hire some random guy to work your house, that's not, they're not your employee. You're not a business. Right. But if you're a business, you should always be cautious about who you're bringing on you know, and, and how you're controlling that relationship. You can't just dictate everything across the board because now they look like an employee. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Wow. And this is the same thing with big corporations, too. They just can't hire a contractor to do, you know, social media or, uh, you know what I mean, that's doing it on a regular yeah. basis, monthly. And, and especially especially right now with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic going on, a lot of people are telecommuting. And so it makes it easier to be like, well, maybe that person is just an independent contractor. I can save some payroll taxes by just moving them to independent contractor status. The problem is, is if all they're doing is work for you, they're not working for any other company, and you're controlling their hours and what they do, that looks like an employee. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have a hard time justifying that before the IRS. Now, Let's say you hire a company to do your social media work, and that company has individuals that are working and doing that. That looks more like an independent contractor. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that looks good. That's that's good. That's what you want. Okay. That sounds that's much better because, say, for example, me if I hired somebody to do um, a company that has more than one person to do some work, then that's more of a contract than it is hiring yeah, someone who's it, an individual. It, it, it is. It factors into what they look at, right? They look at a number of factors. They really want to look at who's controlling the relationship. Is there profit and loss? Uh, who's controlling the time? Uh, also, the how the work is done, right? Hey, I need this done is different than you need to do it this way and get it done. And so they, they look at all those factors. Mm, interesting, interesting. Well, hopefully <laughs> nobody gets audited. <laughs> but anyway... Um, this is this is really educational. I did not know. Yeah, it's better to hire an, a business attorney than it is a business coach. Because yeah, it can be very helpful. Um, real quick, Kathy, I realized when you asked earlier about what contracts a business might need, I want to point out one area here that I see constantly okay. is lacking, and it's uh, on on the website for companies. A lot of times, right, hey, you're hiring this website company. They build out the whole website. The problem is who drafted the terms of use, which means how to use the website. 
who's drafting the privacy policy in case you take any you know customer information mm-hmm. and who's who's drafting the terms of service well it's not the website company mm-hmm. right they they're not attorneys they can't draft that and so again most businesses that have come across did not know they needed to look at their website and see you know am i ada compliant do i have a terms of use do i have privacy policy that you know can hold up to clients who are in california or european union very important part of a website is the privacy policy. And then if you're selling anything on your website, the terms of service, you know, what, what's the return policy? What is the payment? What is uh, the customer service relationship that I need to have? And so it, it's important on the website. That's one area of contracts that I think a lot of businesses maybe assume is being done by the website company, uh, but it is not. And if they are doing it, then they need to have an attorney review whatever they're putting in there because it may not match your business and your business risk. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. This is amazing. Well, Paul, give us your info. How do they, how can someone find you to hire you on? Yeah. So my phone number, which is my most direct, it's my cell phone, 480-335-6170. And then I have a website, sumabusinesslaw.com and suma is spelled S-U-M-M-A or they can search for my business page on Facebook it's just Suma Business Law LLC and they'd be able to find me fairly easily Uh amazing that's so good and uh, you just mainly just charge a flat fee and is it different from us for a small business to a corporation for your fees no my fees are, they're listed on my uh, Facebook page, my business page. Mm, okay. But I charge, I'll tell you right now, they're 250 to review a document. They're $1,000 to edit or draft brand new. Mm-hmm. And if I'm doing operating documents, so anything that involves forming the company, uh, those are 1000 to $2,000 depending on the complexity. So if you know we have some advanced tax planning going on with the company, then typically around the $2,000 range. If it's a very simple vanilla LLC, then you're going to be looking around over. Uh, but those are my fees. I don't charge more. It doesn't change when I you know, call you or you call me. That's the fee. That is amazing. They're good prices too. And, and for everybody's listening, I know this, it's a tax deduction. <laughs> it's a business attorney's a hundred percent tax deduction. So it there looks, you go. yeah. So um, if somebody say, well, I need to make money and I go, well, you'll make money if the documents are done right. And also too, um, if the paperwork is all done correctly and everything, then it's easy to even raise money for your business. Cause then you have a good, That's correct. you That's have a good correct. resume a and you have an attorney on your side. You got, you know what I mean? It just looks so good. It looks good. A lot of investors will not give money until they see the company looks more legitimate. Right. Without documents, what are you going to do? You can't even get a bank account most of the time without an operating agreement. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 Of course, that was a long time ago, but I formed an LLC and I had to take all my paperwork in (laughs) just to get the bank account open. But, um, but yeah, that was a long time ago. So I had my LLC for a while, but I probably want you to look at that and, you know, I'll be hiring you for next year for sure. But to, look forward to it. for the Kathy Lee Parker show, protect me. But anyway, or not just protect me, but just make sure I have my T's and dots are signed. But I, yeah, I, I had a business coach 
and it was okay. It felt like somebody I went to cry to, but <laughs> I, I could cry to my mom <laughs> or my husband, but no, I don't need to. I don't need to have a business coach. You know, I just need somebody who, uh, yeah, and I don't need somebody riding my towel. But I would like to have, you know, I know what I'm doing. So yeah, to me, like once again, a business attorney is better than a business coach. Sorry. For those who are out there yeah. doing it, but you know, um, yeah, I need to make sure my paperwork's all in alignment, and and it protects me. You know, protects my LLC, and I like that other thing that you said about the LLC too, another format. But you know, I'll learn as I go, and um, um, then I'm a, a much more smarter out there with it. But I have a few clients I'll be sending to your way that are saying, yeah, I need a business attorney, and they're small. But, you know, they need to be put in the right direction so they don't get hurt, you know, or taken Correct. advantage of. You know, I can go on with that. I knew some businesses who got taken advantage of, but they didn't have their paperwork right. And they got yep. taken. In fact, Kathy, I have uh, many of my phone calls because I don't do litigation or dispute resolution. I have to turn away clients because they're coming to me after the fact. Oh. So they're not coming to me saying, hey, I just... Spent eighty or lost eighty thousand dollars with this guy that I was doing business with, <gasps> and I'm like, why'd you give him eighty thousand? What was the business practice that that made you do this? Because that's not reasonable, right? That's what are you doing? Shouldn't you have taken half down or paid him only half up front? And and so people, it's it's good to get with an attorney before these transactions because otherwise, yeah, you can be somebody could just take the money and run, <laughs> and it happens all the time. You just go to any kind of licensing agency and see what their their claims are. And you'll see that people showed up, you know, to do a plumbing job, took the money, never showed up again. And and you have these complaints that are constant. It's like meet with a business attorney, call somebody to just get some advice if you can. Mm -hmm. That is so true. That's so true. Well, Paul, give me some info again, how for someone to get in touch with you. So my phone number is 480-335-6170. My website is sumabusinesslaw.com, and SUMA is spelled S-U-M-M-A. And then I do have a Facebook business page, and you just search for SUMA Business Law LLC, and it should pop up. Interesting. But my advice, call them. Just call them or text them. Text them. You know, you do you do receive your texts pretty fast. So, but I just do, I really want to thank you, Paul, for coming on. And, uh, wow, what an education. And we're just getting started this is just an introduction to a business attorney. I know that you do have 15 other topics that you can cover that I was blown away. I'm like, dang, let's just start with the basics. <laughs> so people know who you are, you're introduced. And matter of fact, on LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn. I do very well on LinkedIn because it's a lot of businesses. And somebody just mentioned, I love your show. I'm like, I'm yeah. just getting started as a podcaster because I did radio for 10, over 10 years. Now I'm moving into the podcasting. It's different. <laughs> it's different, but um, I'll get used to it. This is the same thing with everything else. And uh, I do need to get a business attorney. And I'm, you're hired on. And, uh, and you're going to be working with a huge company overseas as well as a few little ones that I'm going to be showing. Be sending your way. So, um, but anyway, but I'm hoping you come back with more interesting topics to talk about when it comes to business.
because I noticed there was a list that you gave me that was quite long, and I thought. Yeah, I look I look forward to it. it. Honestly, there's not enough time in a lot of my meetings to give as much advice as the client needs, but that's why I make myself available by phone, by text, by email, without a charge, because people really do need that information. They need a voice on their side. They could Google most of the things that I tell them. The problem is, is do you trust it? Is it really from a credible source where if they call me, right, my job is to be competent. It is to make sure that I, I have a trusted uh, viewpoint on what I'm saying. And so I, I do. I try to make myself accessible. And I appreciate being on your show, Kathy. You're welcome. And I want to thank you so much. And you have a nice evening. Thanks, Kathy. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Kathy Lee Parker Show. Until then, I will see you for the next hour. Bye-bye.